Hey friends, this is Linda and you're listening to Calling Water, the podcast where we examine a part of the Bible and talk about what it means and reflect on some things it might call us to do. We are starting a new series this month from the book of Job. In today's episode, Fear God for Nothing, we're looking at Job chapter 1 through chapter 2 verse 10 and the astounding way in which Job held on to his faith in the face of serious adversity. Let's get started. I feel like we hear increasingly more heartbreaking news nowadays. Just this week, I heard of the sudden passing of a pastor I knew who had dedicated his life to God's work and is leaving behind his wife and his three incredible children. I've known a few friends in this past year alone who have had miscarriages or lost their babies upon delivery. And I'm sure all of you have experienced or know people who have experienced losses too. And this is to say nothing of the countless lives that are lost on the daily due to this pandemic that is the backdrop for tragedy upon tragedy these days. And each time we are faced with these unexplainably tragic events, we can't help but ask the question looming in the back of all our minds, why does God allow bad things to happen? And more specifically, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? And I know this question gets asked a lot, all the time, but I'm not really going to answer it. I know, disappointing. But it's because, quite simply, I don't know why. I don't know why God does anything, and that's just a condition of me being a finite human being. Moreover, I don't think this is the right question to be asking anyway. Let's look at today's scripture and try to figure out what might be a better question to ask and how it will help us understand the role of suffering and pain in our lives. So we just wrapped up our series on wisdom from the book of James, where we learned that Godly wisdom is one that is not for personal gain, but to be exercised in community and for the good of others. In the final chapter, chapter 5, James calls attention to two biblical figures as an inspiration of sorts. One is the prophet Elijah, who is an example of someone who prayed earnestly in faith, and the other we find in verse 11. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So let's dive right into today's story. The book of Job opens with a brief profile on its namesake. Verses 1 through 3 tell us, In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. 
What an opening. Job was essentially as perfect as any human could be. He loved God. He loved others. He was affluent yet humble. He is so great, the greatest according to the text, that God pretty much brags on him. In chapter 1 verse 8, God says, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. God echoes the opening line of this book. With God's own lips, Job is classified as blameless and upright. But do you know who God is talking to here? It's none other than Satan. Now, it's not really clear as to why God is in such casual conversation with Satan, but we can delineate from the text that well, at least in the premise of Job's story, that some sort of counsel is happening here where angelic beings are gathering before God. Now, it's important for us to realize Satan's place in this dynamic. A lot of people picture Satan to be God's arch nemesis. And even though the word for Satan in Hebrew does mean adversary, he is an enemy of God, but not God's equal and opposite. Satan is subordinate to God. Bear that in mind as we continue on in the story. So Satan, upon hearing God's glowing accolade of this man, Job, challenges God. He kind of pouts in verses 9 through 11. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Satan refuses to believe that any human would love and fear God when they receive nothing in return. Clearly, God is buying his affection somehow. But God is not fazed by this accusation, so much so that God permits Satan to torment Job to the best of his ability without harming his person. And I imagine Satan gleefully set out to attack Job in this way. In the verses that follow, we discover that Job's livestock, workers, and his own children are killed either by raiders or natural disasters. Now, that is an overwhelming amount of loss, and even more so that it happened all at once. And notice how Satan mimics the way we expect God to operate through catastrophes and other acts of God, so to speak. He does have limited power over such things, but only in as much God allows it. So this is where some of you might be scratching your heads. God allowed Satan to do this? So God does allow bad things to happen? Well, we'll come back to this in just a moment. Because even more puzzling than that is what not just what happened to Job, but how Job responded to what happened to him. Upon hearing the news of all that he had lost that day from four separate messengers, Job mourns. 
and rightfully so. He does mourn. He tore his robe and shaved his head, the Bible tells us, as one used to do while mourning in those days. But then he fell to the ground in worship. Job chapter 1 verse 21 tells us Job said these remarkable words. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. I mean, technically it was Satan who took away, but Job in saying it this way and attributing all of these events to God is him saying rightly that God is the only one who is in control. And if God allowed it, then there must be a reason, though he's not privy to it. He acknowledges that everything he had was a gift from the Lord, not something he earned. And he's saying that it's God's prerogative to give or take as he pleases. Now, if this was a test, which it wasn't, I would say Job aced it, you know, give the man a prize, right? But no, what he gets is more suffering. Upon seeing that Job held on to his faith and integrity, Satan challenges God again, saying that, okay, well, maybe Job's just not materialistic or anything, but I bet you if you endanger his life, he will surely curse you. And again, for reasons that are unclear, God assents to this and allows Satan to inflict more pain while sparing his life. So Satan this time torments Job by covering him with sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. So Job, in addition to having nothing, is now faced with the reality that now even his health is failing. Now imagine that you were living in the same house as this man as was Job's wife, who cannot bear watching him suffer. In verse 9, his wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. And depending on where your views stand, this statement could seem either really harsh or rather justified. But before we judge her words, I want us to remember that this statement is coming from a woman who, alongside her husband Job, has lost all her worldly possessions and her 10 children, but she did still stand by Job. So she's not mocking him for his radical faith as many people interpret this verse. She is anguished and would much rather see her husband have peace in death than go through this prolonged agony. But alas, Job still does not speak out against God. And in both times Satan brought these calamities upon him, Job is said to have not sinned in what he said because he did not curse God as Satan had expected him to. So, wow, that was some heavy material, was it not? And I admit that reading the book of Job could lead to more questions than answers. So let's ask a few of those questions. First, Where does suffering come from? And we talked about this a little bit in previous episodes, but let me just say it again. Suffering is not a result of sin. And that's not to say that sin doesn't have consequences. It does. But if you are paying the price for a poor choice you made, 
I think it would be unfair to call that suffering. The scene that unfolds where God is talking to the angels and Satan himself is one that we don't really see anywhere else in the Bible, but it's pivotal here in understanding the chain of events that occur in Job's life. This heavenly dialogue between God and Satan is necessary to dismantle any idea that Job was at fault for any reason. And we'll probably talk about this more in the weeks to come because even Job's friends in later chapters try to find some sort of explanation for how Job brought this upon himself, and he didn't. But for reasons unbeknownst to us, God did allow suffering to happen in Job's life. But who inflicted the suffering? It was Satan. So then does this mean that God arbitrarily allows Satan to bring us suffering? No. I know, I know. The passage says that God gave Satan permission to torment Job, so that must mean God gives the same allowances toward us too, right? No. Remember how this began? God was so pleased with Job and knew his heart. So when Satan challenged God by saying that Job only loved and feared God because he was so obviously blessed, God knew Job was up to the challenge to debunk this myth. I don't know about you, but I could hardly classify myself in the same category of blamelessness and uprightness as Job. Because Job, though he lost literally, literally everything, he was able to say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. So he was unique in the way he was used by God to show humans can and should love God unconditionally, which is an attribute we only assign to God's love for us. Job's response baffles Satan and effectively shuts him up too because we don't hear from him again. So is there a purpose to suffering? I think the most unhelpful thing people can say to someone who is going through a significant loss is to tell them that everything happens for a reason, right? I've heard Romans 8.28 misquoted and misapplied more times than I can count. Although I don't believe God does anything at random, when people are suffering, the last thing people want to hear is that there's a reason. Because what kind of reason is there for good people to suffer the way they do? The Bible tells us that the trials of this life help us build perseverance and character, but these seem more like byproducts. And then we get stuck here because we're trying to do meaning-making within the confines of our limited understanding and experiences. But God's understanding and wisdom spans all of eternity. We can only see a glimpse of who God is within the scope of our lifetime, but God's plans and purpose have been in motion since before the beginning of time and will persist until the very end. So yes, there probably is a purpose to suffering from a divine perspective, but none that will make sense to us in this mortal coil. But we need to separate suffering 
and all the bad happening in this world from the nature of God. The fact that suffering exists doesn't diminish God's power or goodness. Neither does the fact that he allows it to exist. Because God is not only concerned about how blessed of a life we lead during the short time we are on this earth, because we have forever to think about. And Job knew this. His tremendous losses, however devastating, amplified what he already knew. That he was small and that God was big. He had no real control over his destiny, but he continued to trust in the one who ultimately does. So when Satan exclaims, does Job fear God for nothing? You know, he was accusing God of bribing humans into obedience. And each time we, you and I, blame God for things that go wrong, we are confirming that such a bribe exists. Our enemy resents the fact that such a loving relationship could exist between the creator and the created. And he's doing everything he can within his limits, of course, to drive as big of a wedge as he can between us and God. Friends, don't give him that kind of leverage. Whatever we go through in this lifetime, however joyful or however trying, are temporary. But our big, eternal God has chosen to care for us, not just for now in this brief moment in time, but for all time. So to go back to the original question, why does God allow bad things to happen? Why? We may never know, at least not yet. But we might want to reframe this question. How about we ask, what can I do when bad things happen? What can we do when bad things happen? And the answer to that is the same thing we do when good things happen. As Job did, we can say, may the name of the Lord be praised. Even in the bleakest of circumstances, we must get into the habit of praising God. Not because of what he gives us, but because of who he is. Then we can sing as the psalmist does in Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 to 4. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? Let's pray. God, Truly, who are we that you are mindful of us? We must be but an infinitesimal speck in your eyes, but you embrace us as though we mean the world to you, and we do. And though we may never fully understand why we must face the trials of this life, we know that just because suffering is present doesn't mean that you are absent. You owe us nothing, and yet you continuously give us more than we deserve. But may that not be the reason we love you. No matter how the enemy tries to attack your character and plant distorted truths into our minds, help us to be steadfast in our love for you, and not just 
love of the things you give. May we truly fear you for nothing. In Jesus' name, amen.